Our passage this afternoon is Colossians 1, and we're verse 21 through 23 as we consider the application of redemption through the gospel. That we are now reconciled to God. We'll read from uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things Hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Amen. May God bless the reading and now the preaching of His Holy Word. In 1736, Jonathan Edwards, he wrote a little treatise called A Narrative of Surprising Conversions. He was seeking to capture and understand the nature of God's work amongst his own congregation as God was blessing the preaching of the Word of God and sinners were being saved. Edwards was a Reformed pastor of a church in Northampton, Massachusetts. And God used him mightily to preach the gospel to to thousands and saw many come to genuine faith in Christ. Edwards says, as he spoke about these conversions, he says, but as the gospel is the same divine instrument of grace still, as it ever was in the day of apostles. So our ascended Savior now and then takes a special occasion to manifest the divinity of His gospel by His Spirit where it is preached. That the gospel is the same message the apostles proclaimed, which Paul became a minister. It's the same gospel that we preach today, the same message the Spirit by the work of the ascended Lord applies it to the hearts of sinners. As sinners came to faith in Colossae at the time of Paul's writing, as he speaks of their own conversion, as the Lord used the gospel, the same message in Edward's day, he is saving sinners today through the same message that we preach. We proclaim the same gospel that has the same effects For it's the same ascended Lord Jesus Christ who reigns supreme that works through this message. 
Edwards gave a few examples of what he said were surprising conversions. One was an older lady, Abigail Hutchinson, who was greatly affected by the news, or, and, and Edwards was greatly affected by the news of her conversion. When one day she said, whom she thought she was very unworthy of being distinguished by God's mercy. We know many people who think they're unworthy, but God welcomes all to come to Christ. And she, through the hearing of the word of God, Edwards expressed in the midst of her great distress, she awakened one morning with the lively sense of the excellency of Christ and the salvation in him. That's what Paul is proclaiming here in the book of Colossians. The excellency and supremacy of Jesus Christ in the gospel. That sinners might be awakened by the Spirit to a sense of His supremacy. And to know Him as the great Savior of all. Another conversion though was that of a little girl named Phoebe. Who after hearing her brothers talk about Christ, she also wanted to know about the Lord Jesus. It was maybe someone she said was four or five years old and yet responded. But the mother was a little bit weary, wondering, was she converted? Her mother asked her, why did she want to go to church? Why do we want to come to church? Was it just to see the nice, fine folks? No, she said. It was to hear Mr. Edwards preach. She wanted to hear the word of God. Hear old or young, male or female, the gospel is for all. To all come to Christ. That same gospel is proclaimed this day. That through faith in Christ, we might be saved. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And that's what Paul is getting at here at the end of chapter 1. He's speaking about the power of the supreme and excellent Lord Jesus Christ who saves sinners and preserves them faithful unto the end. It is the gospel which saved Paul, which he says he was a minister. It's the same gospel Epaphras in verse 7 preached the gospel to the Colossians. It's the same gospel that saved them and continues to save them. And brothers and sisters, it's the same Lord Jesus Christ who's head over the church that is able to save sinners and to preserve us faithful until the end, until we receive the blessings and glory. That the conversion of sinners is what we ought to see is a demonstration of the supremacy of Christ. How are sinners saved? They are saved by the supremacy of Christ, the one Lord who is creator and redeemer, manifests his supremacy through the preaching of the word of God. And so after speaking about the supremacy of Christ And then in verse 20, who reconciles all things to himself, he kind of zooms in to speak about the Colossian church. Christ has accomplished redemption for his people. We just sang, from heaven he came and sought his holy bride. He came to accomplish the redemption of his people. And now through the preaching of the gospel, he applies the benefits of, of the gospel, the benefits of Christ to his people. He zooms in and you, you have received the grace of God through Christ. 
It's not enough just to know that God saves sinners, that God reconciles the world. No, he says, you were saved by the grace of God through Christ. And therefore, you ought to persevere through faith in the gospel. Christian Smith has tried to capture our culture's understanding of American, American religion, or really the understanding of the gospel today. And he, he coined a term, I think, really gets at our culture's understanding of, of religion. He entitled it Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. Man is basically and inherently good. And so what do men need? They just need a little bit of morality. They need to be told what to do to live good and honorable lives. What do men need? Men need a little bit of therapy so they could feel good about themselves. Right? They need a little bit of little bit of help to have them feel positive, to live happy lives before they die. And if God is confessed at all, he is a deistic God. He's just the God that's the watchmaker in the sky, has nothing to do with us. Or if he does, he just intervenes every once in a while. Whenever you're in trouble, you cry out to God and he's there to meet your needs. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. And I bring that up here because this false gospel stands in sharp contrast to the good news that's proclaimed to the Colossians. It stands in sharp contrast to the good news for the good news of the gospel proclaims that the sovereign creator of all things has come to reconcile sinners to himself. Not just to give a little bit of help, but to do for you what you cannot do for yourself to save you, to reconcile you. Not just to make you feel happy about yourself, to make you holy, to redeem you from the corruption and depression of sin, to pull you up out of the pit, to actually draw you unto himself. What the world needs is the gospel. We need the sovereign, supreme Lord to apply the benefits of his reconciling work to us through the gospel. And what we ought to see is that the Lord continues to use the gospel not only to save sinners, but to preserve us unto glory. The gospel is the means by which we are saved and sanctified. So my main point this afternoon, it's there in the the bulletin as well, that the church is to remain steadfast in the hope of the gospel. For the gospel which has saved totally depraved sinners is the same means that will bring them into glory. Now let's consider this under three points then. Firstly, who we once were. We need to consider our, our nature, our total depravity. Who we once were, we were totally depraved. And so after speaking about the person and work of Christ, he now turns to speak about the nature of the Colossians. And I think what's important here for us is that we need to remember who we once were so that we would appreciate the grace of God in Christ. Right In light of beholding the glory of Christ as the supreme creator and redeemer, as we read already, Christ is supreme. Then, in light of beholding His glory, then we could see who we truly are. 
John Calvin put it this way. We must infer that man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his lowly estate until he compares himself with God's majesty. It's not until you get a sight of God's majesty and his supremacy that you understand who you are. That you are actually affected. That you see that we are the dust of the earth. Nothing but worms, Calvin liked to say, that, that creep around on the earth. How do you view the nature of man? I think more importantly for us, how do you view your own nature? It's easy to look outside nature. How do we view ourselves? Is man truly good by nature, created with the ability to do good, spiritual good? No, the idea of man as sinful has all but been lost in our culture, let alone thinking of ourselves as totally depraved. One man put it this way, he said, speaking of the fundamental nature of man, he says, the fundamental principle of morality about which I have reasoned in all of my writings is that man is naturally good, loving justice and order, that there is no original perversity in the human heart and that the first movements of nature are always right. That is our culture. That is the view that men, men are basically good. And then we say it all the time, oh, he's a good man. Oh, he doesn't sin, he, he errs. To, to err is human. We reason like that all the time. That man is basically good and the first movements of his nature are good. So that sin is not the issue. Ignorance is. We just need more education. Or the issue is your self-confidence. You just need more self-esteem that therapy can give you. I think a lot of times what happens is the problem most often doesn't lie with yourself at all. Society is the issue. We just, the old Adam just creeps up and we blame it on somebody else. It's not my fault. Somebody else did this to me. Then you spend 30 years of therapy working out all the people that did it to you. But the problem lies with us, who we are by nature. And so we won't come to appreciate love and trust in the power of the cross until you see your own sin, who we truly are. We need to recognize, even for us as Christians, who we once were, so that we will love the grace of God through Christ. Look at the language Paul uses here. We were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. It's similar language. It's parallel to Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, Colossians was written at the same time as Ephesians. And we, we know that well, right? Man is dead in our sins. We followed the course of the world. We were obedient to Satan. Followed the passions of the flesh and of the mind. We were by children nature of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. And so that's what Paul's getting at here. Who were you? You were like the rest of mankind, all of humanity. You were depraved. The whole man is dead in sin, wholly defiled in all of the parts, body and soul. We don't just do outward things that are wrong. Our nature is sinful. Why do we do evil deeds? It's because the mind is depraved. Because our soul, by nature, is corrupt. 
that our fundamental problem is that by nature we are alienated from God. Think of the whole Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is a picture of man's alienation. What happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned? They're kicked out of the garden, alienated from God, separate from him. The whole sacrificial system was to demonstrate to Israel, you're alienated from God. Only the priest could go into the presence of the Holy of Holies once a year through the blood of a sacrifice. And what happens to Israel when they break God's covenant? They too are kicked east of Eden, right? They're kicked out of Israel, exiled. All of it is meant to demonstrate to Israel and to mankind, you're alienated because of sin. That's what sin does. Sin separates us from God, by which we need to be reconciled through a sacrifice. Isaiah 59, 2 speaks of this alienation. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God hears all, right? He receives all. He's just there waiting for, for all. No, your sins have separated you from God. That we must come through Christ. There must be a way which Paul will speak about for us to come to Him. But we must understand we were alienated from the life of God, Ephesians 4, 18. We're also hostile in our minds. Man is composed of both intellect and a will. We have a mind to rationally know God. We were created to know God and to now live with a mind to, to uh, stand in relation to God. For what has sin done to our minds? Our minds now are defiled by sin, darkened, and hostile. Romans one twenty one. Although the Gentiles knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. By nature, that's how our minds, our minds are turned away from our Creator. We're darkened by sin. We're hostile. Now, we either knew our own hearts, or we were once hostile. All of us, our minds were contrary to the things of God and hated God. But just think of the hostility of a man's mind in our culture. You have to be hostile to call evil good and good evil. You have to be hostile to God to call a man a, a female and a female a man. You're, you're hostile to truth. And we felt that as we share the truth of the gospel with people in our culture. You're fine talking about a lot of other things until you start talking about truth, the truth of who God is and who we are and who Christ is. And all of a sudden, you're like, hostility. Where did that come from? We shouldn't be shocked because we once were hostile. To God. They need the gospel. They need the light of the Spirit to enlighten their minds so that they would know their God. But this is the picture of sinful man. I said in a Sunday school, right? The, the unbeliever can't even look at himself in the mirror without seeing the image of God. And yet he's hostile. He's hostile to that very image. And he's hostile to the God who made him. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, Romans 8, 7, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Cannot. 
we start getting the picture of man's depravity, we see why we need the irresistible grace of God. We don't just need a little bit of help. We need God to sovereignly do for us what we cannot, what we would not. We're running the wholly different direction away from God until His love draws us near, until He saves us. But out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is, out of our very nature comes action. So our minds are depraved, and what comes out of our mind? All sorts of evil deeds. That's what he says. The man by nature is evil. Deeds that are not done to the glory of God or by faith, deeds that are done contrary to the law of God, we like to couch them with different words, but the very heart of them, they're evil. They stand against God. Now this doesn't mean that there aren't degrees of sin. Degrees of evilness, we see that in the scriptures as well. But the very core of our heart that stands against God, apart from His grace, is evil. We have to be able to call sin what sin is, to see at its core what it is. Now, God, by His grace, restrains men so they're not as evil as they could be. Praise God for His common grace, His restraint through His law. But men, and we were there with them, are deeds are evil chapter 6 of our confession says our natures are utterly indisposed disabled and made opposite to all good and wholly inclined to all evil which actual transgressions proceed that's our nature and all these evil proceeds from it the perversity of the heart comes from our nature men are not basically good Therefore, moralism will not help a depraved sinner. Therapy might make you feel good for a time until you go down to destruction of hell. What we need is the grace of God through the gospel. Who will save a wretched man like me? Thanks be the God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, Jeremiah 13, 23. Can an Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard, his spots? Can we save ourselves? That's what he's getting at. Can, can dead men raise themselves? No, we need the reconciling grace of Christ. We need Christ the Savior. And so I say this to you, if you are outside of Christ, I say this to our children who sit under the preaching of the Word of God, if you are outside of Christ, He is the only means of salvation. You can't save yourself. Just trying to clean yourself up to impress your brothers and sisters or our parents does nothing before God. We need Christ. We need to embrace Him in the gospel. And for all of us, we fall into that same mentality because we don't understand who we once were. Will your good works suffice to do anything before God? Will they make satisfaction before a holy God? Will your own goodness save you? No, we cry out with Paul, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death. This is what Paul is getting at. And so for us, brothers and sisters, Paul wants us to remember who we once were. Not so that we dwell upon the guilt and be over so overwhelmed by the old man, 
but so that we will be so overwhelmed with the grace of God in Christ, who we now are. Let us remember our sinful nature so that we would not rest in ourselves, but the sufficiency of our Savior. That we would not shift from the hope of the gospel, but to press on further into it, to know Christ all the more. And so that's the first, like who we once were. Secondly, a little shorter, who we now are. Who we now are. We are reconciled. Right? We were once this way, but what did God do? God intervened to reconcile us to God. Praise God. God is not some far off, distant God who just acts every once in a while. He's the creator, the sustainer. He's Jesus Christ. All things were created by him and for him. Jesus Christ, all things hold together in him. And he entered into history to save us. Here we see our great creator is our redeemer who accomplished redemption and now applies it to us. And so now in Christ, we're given this new position and a new disposition. We are reconciled to God. Right? There's this dramatic shift here as you read it, right? And you, you were this, verse 22. But there's a shift. He has now. I mean, even in the Greek, it comes out a little bit more of the, the emphasis. But now you are this way. Right? We, we love that. It's again, it's parallel to Ephesians chapter 2 because we love that little phrase. It's, it's dear to us, but God. Right? You are this way, but God. And that's what he's getting at here in Colossians. You are this way. He has now done this for you. You are reconciled through the blood of Christ. He has intervened to save His people. You were once alienated, but you have a new position. You were once hostile to Him, but now you are holy. Right? You once had a depraved mind and nature, but now you are above reproach through Him. Like Everything is dramatically changed through Christ. That's why I was thinking of these... Dr- surprising conversions in in Owen's day. How surprising to see Colossians, idol worshipers, Gentiles who would go to the temple every day, and now who are they? Now they're going to the true temple, the Lord Jesus. Holy and blameless. This is a surprising conversion of what God does through the gospel. And we should see, as Paul says, right? If, If Paul... if Paul could be saved, who's the chief of sinners. He says that anyone could be saved. And I think we feel the same way, and we ought to. If God could save me, like he could save anyone in the city. He could save anyone and throughout the nations. I am just as depraved, just as hostile. And yet he intervenes by his grace. Listen to what he says. He has now reconciled his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He has reconciled us. I think this language has been lost on us of reconciliation because what are we hearing a lot of? We're hearing calls for racial reconciliation, reconciliation between political parties. We might even hear 
and we want this reconciliation of marriages, right? And if that, we pray, happens. But the problem doesn't just lie with relationships between men. The reason why relationships are out of sort between men, whether politics or marriages, is because our relationship with God is that we need to be reconciled to God first to have any hope to be reconciled to one another. That's what we'll see. We'll see people hostile to one another. We'll see marriages out of sorts hostile to one another because they become estranged from God. Our problem lies first with God. And this is what reconciliation is. God reconciling sinful humanity to himself so that our broken relationship with God might be restored. To have communion with the Almighty God. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And this is why he's given the church a ministry of reconciliation. That the message of reconciliation is founded upon the work of reconciliation. Or we could say it this way, the ministry of the church is founded upon the mission of God. God was in the world reconciling, and therefore he gives the church a ministry of reconciliation. That there's hope. There's hope for sinners to be reconciled because God was in the world reconciling us to himself. And so reconciliation starts with God. Charles Wesley wrote the hymn, Arise, my soul, arise. And in it he says, My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. But it's surprising because we usually think that we are reconciled to God. And that's the result of God being reconciled to us. God is reconciled. The work of Christ is first Godward. Not only were we hostile to God, God had a hostility towards us because of sin. That He needed to be propitiated. He needed... For his anger and just wrath to be dealt with and removed through the blood of his son. He needed to be reconciled so that we might be turned unto him through his work on the cross. It's again, it's not as if God's just sitting there saying, I've loved you and waiting for you to do something because you're hostile to me. God's holy and just wrath is against sinners. And yet the good news of the gospel is that God is reconciled. Therefore, brothers and sisters, there's hope for us that we could be reconciled to God through Christ. And what was the result of this reconciling work of Christ upon the cross? The result isn't just happiness. It's holiness. It wasn't just morality It's communion with God. Paul says, Christ reconciled us to present us before the Lord, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Christ is the one who presents us before God. And these words actually are taken from the sacrificial system, right? Holy, blameless, above reproach. 
These are dealt with in the nature of the sacrificial offerings. A sacrifice had to be presented in order for us then to be reckoned as holy or blameless before God. And so the picture is that Christ is the great high priest who made the sacrifice through his blood so that we could be brought near to him. So that the dividing wall, the the holy of holies, would be broken down. And now all of us have access and communion through the blood of Christ. This is what is so amazing of the gospel. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he now calls us holy and blameless and above reproach. If you're like me, you know our hearts. We're far from true holiness, blamelessness. And yet declared this through Christ. Declared holy through Christ so that we could be brought near through His perfect sacrifice. And one day we will be. We'll be like Christ. And He will present us fully on that day raised with Christ to dwell with God forever. But this is your new position. You were depraved. You are holy and blameless and above reproach. This is who you are in Christ. And so we must not only remember who we once were, we must stand firm in who we are now, resting upon the Lord Jesus. Not being overwhelmed by the guilt of our past life, but being overwhelmed with the grace that's found in Jesus. This is who we are. And this is who He offers for all who would come to Him. And so, brothers and sisters, let us give thanks to God. We who are far off, we have communion with God. Let us praise God that He doesn't call us to clean ourselves up before we need to come to Jesus. No, we come and embrace Jesus. And He does the work for us. He has finished our reconciliation. We who were once depraved, hostile, are now holy and blameless, justified through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the good news of the gospel, is it not? That the Lord saves sinners and continues to do so today. Which comes to our third and, and final point as we, as we wrap this section up here. Preserving in the hope of the gospel. We not only need to see who we once were and who we now are in Christ, we need to continue to persevere in the gospel. That that's what the Christian life is. And for many of you, you've felt it and known that for many years now. And what does Paul say to you? Continue to persevere. Continue to remain steadfast. Don't give up. Continue to run the marathon, run the race. Continue to climb the, a peak. That's what it is. It's just a continual climb through faith in Christ. We must persevere. Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. I was at the coffee shop this week. I, I like to study at the coffee shop and get to meet different people. And, you know, sometimes right, you're eavesdropping on different conversations and two seemingly people talking about things of God. And they were talking about a, a book uh, entitled Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Now, I haven't read the book, so I'm not going off anything with the book other than the title. The title says, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. The Christian life is a life of perseverance and obedience and continually being obedient. We are to be obedient in Christ 
But our obedience is to flow from faith in the gospel. Our obedience is to continue to flow through faith in Christ. And so what we ought to emphasize and what Paul emphasizes is not a long obedience in the same direction, but a long faith in the same direction. Continually have faith in Christ. You know, we get so focused upon ourselves and our own work and our own obedience, and I need to continue to do this. What does Paul say to do? Continue to remain steadfast in Christ. Look to Him. Rest in Him. Continually go back to the gospel. Not shifting from the hope that saved us. For the same gospel that saved us is the gospel that will preserve us faithful unto the end. We like to think that the gospel is only for unbelievers. The gospel is what saves you and then I move on to to something better. Right? The gospel saves us, but now I'm just all about the law. Because this is what we do now as Christians. And we divorce the law from the gospel. No, the gospel is what gives us the power to now obey Christ. The gospel is what continues and able to preserve us. That we need the gospel. That we need to come every Lord's Day desiring to hear the gospel proclaimed to me. A wretched sinner who deserves to be condemned under the law and yet lifted up and justified by the gospel of Christ. For it's that gospel that frees us now to live unto the Lord. And so he's reminding us and exhorting the church to continue to run the race through faith in Christ. He's reminding us that the gospel is the answer to our deepest problem, which is sin. That's the deepest problem. All the problems we have, the the remedy is the gospel. Yes, we have other answers. We could also tell us how we are to live before God, the law. But without the gospel, we have no power. We have no hope. We have no security or assurance. This is what we'll sing at the end. That our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, His Jesus' blood and righteousness. Right, All other ground is sinking sands. We remain stable and steadfast, standing upon the rock of the Lord Jesus. Whatever we're going through in our life, all of the affliction and suffering and pain in this age, brothers and sisters, we have hope because we are in Jesus. Let us be assured and steadfast upon the gospel of Christ. This is why we need the means of grace. The means of grace, the preaching of the word of God, the sacraments, what do they do? They communicate to us. They cause us to persevere. And so in 1619, the canons of Dort were were written, speaking of this preservation. It says, It pleased God to begin the work of grace in us through the preaching of the gospel. So he preserves, continues, and completes his work in us through the hearing, reading, and meditating on the promises of the gospel and the use of the sacraments. The same gospel that saves us now preserves us as it is applied to us through the preaching and the sacraments. And so what do we ought to do then as as Christians? Put yourself under the fountain of grace. Put yourself under those means. Utilize the means of grace so that we might continually apply the gospel 
to our hearts. We must persevere unto the end. There is a condition here. If we remain. Yet God who saved us by His grace, will He not preserve us by His grace? Yes, there is a condition. But God who sovereignly saved us, sovereignly appoints the means by which He will keep us. This doesn't mean that someone will fall away and can lose their salvation. As if Christ were not a sufficient high priest to pay for all of our sins. Christ is a sufficient high priest. He will present us holy and blameless before His throne. And He is the one who is now preserving us. The one who began the work in us, will He not complete it? Unto glory. John says they left us because they were not of us. Hebrews says they trampled on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some who do fall away, but it's not because they lost their salvation. It's because they never truly believed. They never truly embraced Christ as He was offered in the gospel freely to them. And therefore they fell away from Christ. Let that not be true of us. Let us hold fast to the Lord Jesus, clinging to Christ our Savior, knowing that we have the full assurance of our salvation. Paul uses the same language of Jude. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before His throne with great joy. Uh, The presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, He calls us to persevere. At the same time, He promises His preservation of us. Let us trust in our God as He preserves us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, what are we to do? Let us not shift from the hope of the gospel. Let us not shift from the hope. Let us continually embrace Christ as you hear of Him. Let us not get sick of hearing of the glory of Christ in the gospel. But we must embrace Him. We must receive and rest in Christ. In other words, what we ought to be doing is as we hear the preaching of the gospel each week, we take those promises and apply them daily to your own heart. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. Preach Christ to your own heart. We don't leave here and move on to to greater things. Take Christ as He's preached to you. And now apply that to every situation in your life. Know the very great and precious promises and continually rest in them. Christ is sufficient for us. His gospel has saved depraved and wretched sinners like you and like me. And that same gospel is what will preserve us. We ought to thank God with John Newton. And we know John Newton is the author of Amazing Grace. He once declared, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That is us, brothers and sisters. We are not yet what we want to be in glory. right? But we are not once what we once used to be. We were totally depraved, lost, hostile to God. And He saved us all by His grace. Let us thank God and give Him praise for the grace that's found 
in the gospel. The church is to remain steadfast in the hope of the gospel, for the gospel which to save totally depraved sinners is the same means that brings us into glory. Until then, let us embrace Christ in the gospel. Amen. Let us pray.